Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the Leesburg Talk podcast. You're going to be listening to a recording from our midweek teaching that happens on Wednesday nights while students are meeting from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. The adults have an adult Bible study, and uh, this is a recording of, uh, of their study in Romans. You're always welcome to come and join us in person Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8. God bless, take care, and enjoy this teaching. Romans chapter 4. Uh, I think we'll get through the whole uh, 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 um, chapter today. You know what a, a prototype is, right? Like think about some of the famous prototypes that you, you might think about, like the, the, I don't know, the Wright brothers in their first airplane, right? Like they created this invention, this, uh, this design. I don't know if I don't know if the right brother. I, I I bet they probably didn't. Somebody else probably did, but they're the ones most famous for it, I suppose. And so, but you know that prototype still kind of exists now. You you have a plane with two wings and a body and a. Uh, uh, think about the 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 first. I think the first personal computer that was that was marketed to uh, the family came out around eighty five or eighty six. Um, Apple's Lisa, for example, right? You know about that, Rodney? You remember that? Was it the Lisa? Is that right? It was a female name. Whatever Steve Jobs' daughter's name was, that's what he named it. That's kind of a tribute to her, which is sad because he was a terrible father. You ever read about him? Oh, man, absolute wretch of a father. But, but uh, you know, named the computer after her. Great, Dad. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it was like $10,000. Uh, geez, and, and now our phones do much more than you know. It's crazy how technology. Uh, somebody was talking that not too long ago. Um, between two thousand and five and today, more there's been more techno- technological advances in that in twenty years than in the two million or, or six thousand years of I- existence. And you think, wow, that's kind of nuts to think about. You know what I mean? Uh, technology is just advancing, advancing, advancing. Well, we were walking through uh, Walmart the other day, uh, Nora and I were, and, you know, of course, I mean, she's, she's eight, and so she wants something all the time, right? And so we're walking through, we're walking past the electronics um, because we were back at the hunting stuff because I want something all the time. And uh, uh, so <laughs> we're walking past the, the, the TVs, and she's like, Dad, look how big that TV is. And I looked over, and it was like a 55-inch or 60-inch TV for 300 bucks you know I think that's wild because I remember in 2010 sweating bullets about this I bought my first real TV into a flat screen TV in 2010 um, and I think I paid $500 for a 40 inch TV wow that's nuts you know it's just crazy Uh, I mean I I owned a house before I had a flat screen TV isn't that wild anyway um so you think about a prototype, and, 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 and things get better and get better and get better. Uh, it's a picture of what, you know, like, you look back and say, okay, this is how this is developed. You know what I mean? Uh, what we see in Romans chapter 4 is the prototype. Uh, Paul's going to introduce us to the prototype of Jesus, or point to a prototype of Jesus uh, in, in Abraham. Kind of a neat, uh, a neat little uh, segment where, where Paul is logically laying out why uh, everyone's bad. <laughs> it's b- bad news for bad people, and everyone's bad, right? We're all deserving of God's wrath, but God has imputed upon us righteousness because of what he has done. The gospel is not about me being good enough. It's about 
I'm not good enough, but thankfully God did this. And so then he starts to walk us through this prototype uh, of, of Christ. Um, again, remember in Rome we're talking about a, a Jewish, uh, a Roman Gentile, or Jewish Gentile church that's have, that has conflict because, um, remember the Jews were, had been kicked out of Rome by the Claudius Edict uh, several years prior. And so they had established a Christian church, but when Claudius was the emperor, because of a couple of the uh, uh, civil fights, he said every, every Jew must leave, which was not just your religious status, but also your ethnic status. And so these Jews had left and been, uh, uh, for about five or six years, they had been gone out of Rome. And then after Claudius had died, the Jews were able to come back. And you've got now, when they left, it was a very Jewish Christian church. And now they're looking, and, you know, the church's new elders and leaders and, you know, staff or whatever. And you say, man, these guys it used to be a pretty uh, Jewish congregation, but now they've got tattoos and piercings. Maybe not that extreme, but uh, <laughs> we're not as traditional as we once were. Uh, it's a little strange. And so, uh, uh, and, and so Paul has been walking through for the Jews and for the Gentiles, saying, hey, look, listen, we are all recipients of one awesome thing, God stepping in and saving us. Because, Mr. Jew, guess what? You can't achieve righteousness. And, Mr. Gentile, guess what? You know you're bad. Like, yeah, we're bad. You can't achieve righteousness either. Uh, but God, the glory of the gospel, remember uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17, the gospel is God-saving power. Stepping into time, space, and creation to redeem his people. Not on your merit, but because of who he is. And so that's where we start in Romans chapter 4. Before I continue to ramble, let me pray for us. Um, God, we come to you now. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, we thank you so, so very much for your word. Uh, <laughs> we, we thank you for your word because it reveals to us who you are <clears throat> and Lord it transforms us and so Lord as we dive into Romans chapter 4 tonight help, Lord help us uh, to see what you'd have us to see Lord reveal yourself to us tonight in your text and God it's our sincere prayer that it not only become head knowledge but Lord uh, that it propel us out of here tonight and into our homes and we, we become better ambassadors of you in our homes and in our jobs and in our schools, wherever we find ourselves. Lord, help us to be propelled into action. Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that you transform us by the renewing of our mind. We thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. I get so tired of um, Christian knowledge But failing to see how it, how, like, as we study God's word, we should be continually transformed. Um, someone was, uh, um, this is off the subject, and I'm ad-libbing now, which is usually when I get in trouble. But um, uh, in the past couple of days, I was having a conversation with someone. They were reading a survey uh, of Christianity in America and all that jazz. And, of course, you know, you know what they say about statistics, right? 98% of them are made up, you know? Uh, and so 
there's that. And so, um, but <coughs> if you have this, this, this majority, let's say even, and I think that's probably generous to say a majority of America are Christian. Uh, but then you step aside and you look at the values of the culture compared to the values of the Bible, and you've got to say to yourself, self, something doesn't line up here. And how is it? Well, it's because w- w- the church, not, uh, not I mean, I'm sure we have too, but I'm not talking about a church, but the church, right? The church has preached this gospel that says you can, you can believe this and put this in your little Jesus church Christianity box and then believe this as well. And while it contradicts, as long as you don't kind of let the boxes touch together, it's okay. Where the Bible would say, <laughs> if it's not consistent, it's wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so we, we see a lot of churches, I, I, I guess that was a conversation, we see a lot of churches that are, that are uh, pulling away from orthodox teaching and belief because they're listening to what sounds loving and kind and gracious or whatever. Uh, but, but really it's the opposite of that. If we see a child playing in the street and a semi coming down, it, the most loving thing we can do is, uh, <laughs> is not just yell and scream, but run and grab that child and throw it out of the way. Now, yeah, I mean, if it takes it, right? Uh, the other alternative, or like we talked about last week, the, this idea of, and I can't remember the terms in front of me right now, but uh, the idea of me helping God, right? It's uh, uh, of that type of salvation. Well, well, God's going to reach his arm out, uh, but it's my duty to grab onto his arm. And Paul says in Romans chapter 3, no, that's not the way God saves. It's as if a parent walks into the pool and sees their child at the bottom of the pool. The, the parent's not going to say, hey, hey, come on, swim up here and grab my hand. No, the good parent jumps in and grabs the child and brings them up. That's what God has done for us. And therefore, there is a responsibility that's on our shoulders to make sure that we walk forward in light of what God has done. And that's part of what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 4. What shall we say then? Uh, What what shall we say? uh, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Now, if Paul is referring to Abraham as our forefather, which group of the people do we suppose he's talking to? Would he be talking about the Jewish Christians here or the Gentile Christians? Who's the for, who, who's he the forefather of? The Jews, right? The Jews would say, well, no, he, Abraham is our forefather. Uh, I'm a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm a Jew, but, you know, so, okay. So he's talking perhaps to the Jews here. For if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. And then he starts to outline this Abraham guy and what he did. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, we know the one who works, his wages are not counted to him as a gift, but are his due. We understand that, right? We all have jobs that we go to work for, and um, uh, uh, you, like you don't say it to your employer, oh, thank you so much, right? Thank you so much for the gracious gift of a paycheck this week. No, you earn that paycheck, and that's, okay, so he says, hey, listen, the one who works, it's not a gift, but it's his due. If, if Abraham is saved by what he did, then it's not really grace, it's, it's he earned it. 
that to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Uh, uh, so he, he, here's, he, here's the big thing that Paul starts off. He, he looks back to this Jewish crowd and he, he looks at the example of Abraham. And you all remember the account of Abraham. Um, Genesis chapter 12, Abraham uh, uh, steps in. Uh, uh, Abraham appears on the scene. And we see this relationship that starts with God and Abraham in chapter 12. It carries throughout, um, really it's the basis for the rest of the Old Testament. Um, let's start tonight by defining this thing that he talks about here with Abraham, our father, and, and the idea of faith. In your notes, it talks about, we give this definition. We give the definition for the internal conviction that leads to an external action. See, in our world today, in Christianity today, we often use the words faith and belief, and I think we use them wrongly. Uh, why is that? Well, we say, I, um, well, I, I mean, dumb, here's a dumb example, right? I, I believe in the tooth fairy. Of course, okay, okay. But what's that mean? Well, it's mental affirmation, right? I believe in Jesus. Okay, that mental affirmation. But in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, belief and faith, it's not just mental affirmation. It's practical in its application. And so it, it works itself out, uh, uh, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the Sunday morning, we talked about uh, remembering. Remembering is, it carries that same idea. Remembering what's, the, what's in the past and then walking forward in accordance to what one remembers. So, so faith has practical applications. Now, in this section, in Romans, in general, uh, it's, it, we have a lot of talk about faith and being saved by grace through faith. Uh, faith, faith, faith. And not being saved by works. Now, historically, there's been a large battle between James and Romans. We talked about Martin Luther last week. We talked about how Martin Luther uh, um, uh, came to understand uh, this righteousness is revealed uh, from heaven, right? God tearing back space, time, and understanding and stepping in with his righteousness and bestowing that on his believers, on his followers, uh, without merit to who they are. And, and Luther said, hey, this is an issue that the church will stand or fall on. Like, this is a big deal. Uh, it changed his life and led to the Protestant Reformation and all that. But... Um, we often see a conflict with Romans, what Paul writes in all of Paul's writings, and this conflict with James to the point that Martin Luther, uh, he, he, I mean, he's got, he, got, he had all kinds of issues, right? But uh, one of those issues is he wanted to remove James from the canon. He didn't, want, he didn't see James as authoritative because it, appeared, it apparently conflicts so much with what Paul writes in Romans. You ever, have you ever noticed that before? So, so Paul says here, the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. What saves you? Well, it's, it's your faith. It's believing in, in what God has done. Uh, James, what does James say? Well, James says in James 2, 18, 
Uh, but someone will say, I have faith but, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I'll, put, I'll show you my faith uh, by my works. It's one thing to say it, James says, but I'm going to do it. Faith without works, he'll later on say, faith without works is dead. James 2, 24, you'll see that a person is justified by his works and not by faith alone. Well, Paul says faith alone. James says not faith alone. Works have to accompany it. So which one is it? James 2, 26, uh, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so is faith apart from works it's dead. Now, we read these passages, and I think we can read both of those and say, yeah, Paul, you're right. And then we read James, and we're like, well, yeah, James is right, too. You know, which, well, which one is it? Is it faith or not faith? Is it, uh, um, the, the, these faith and works, they seem to be in, in conflict with one another. When Paul talk, here's the thing. I think both are using the same word, but I think they're using different definitions to it. They're using different meanings behind it. Paul is talking about the internal conviction. That's his focus, the internal conviction. But James is talking about the external action, uh, parts of the same definition, just focusing on two different parts. Because as we harmonize these passages, we see that faith is much more than just internal conviction. It's more than mental affirmation. It also has, it's, it's, uh, it, it's practiced out in our walk. In our application, uh, faith and works are not in conflict. Uh, f- for, for James, faith results in, in works, and that's where his focus uh, is. <coughs> Paul says you don't have to, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Paul says uh, that it's faith alone, but again, they're, used, they're looking at two halves of the same definition, just opposite halves. Uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher uh, back in the day, old dead guy, you know, those old dead guys. So he said, sometimes had some really good stuff to say. Uh, he said, uh, you don't have to reconcile friends. Um, the, the Bible is written uh, uh, through one Holy Spirit, uh, equipping and empowering these New Testament and Old Testament writers. And so while our, our understanding can sometimes be limited, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit that works in Paul is the same Holy Spirit that works in James, and it's the same Holy Spirit that works in us today. If we look at how, the, how, how both are expressed, we see that uh, 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 you're looking at separate sides of the same coin. They don't contradict. They use the same word, but differently. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul uses this word faith here, and he's talking about the internal, uh, the internal conviction, as opposed to because he's dealing in a culture and society in the Roman Church that really wanted to flaunt the external signs of the law. Uh, the idea throughout Romans, uh, the the terminology is uh, works of the law or keeping Torah. By the first century. The works of the law, uh, it is argued anyway, the works of the law are referring to uh, 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 external identity markers in the community in which you live. I mean, that's why the, the, the Jews uh, developed ghettos that they lived in in more modern times. What's the benefit of a Jewish ghetto? They live in a Jewish community by, with just Jews. What's the benefit of that? Think about that for a second. 
there's one big thing that the Jews did that made them distinct from the rest of society. Happened once a week. Starts with the S. Yeah, ends with the Sabbath. Yeah, Sabbath. That's good. So uh, Sabbath. Well, the rest of the, the Jews would Sabbath, right? And while the Jews are Sabbathing, the rest of the world and the culture is saying, "Hey, look, those honorary Jews. Like we're we're doing our work. We're doing this, but those those lazy Jews." Uh, well, look, look at them. They're just sitting around. Uh, the thing about the kosher food rights, right? How you had to f- prepare your food in certain ways. I don't know all the details of that, but there's certain ways and certain foods you can't have and can't have and can't touch this or whatever and yada, yada. Uh, listen, if you're living in a community and people have the same standards and the same, it's a lot easier, to, I would assume, to keep the kosher food requirements. Uh, by the first century, it's argued that the, the works of Torah or works of the law, uh, Paul refers to, are really identifying uh, three or four things that would have been clear identity markers to a pagan world around you. Oh, that's a Jew. Uh, probably would have involved uh, your kosher eating, uh, Sabbathing. Um, it, it appears to be circumcision, while I don't think that is really a... No one's checking your card for that. You know what I mean? Like, that'd be a weird, weird job at Temple, right? Um, so I don't know if that was really an indicator, a cultural indicator. Uh, but but these are the practices that would have definitely been uh, works of the law. And Paul says, hey, listen, it's, it's, it's not those, it, you can't focus so much on the external uh, uh, actions. Because in that you say, well, as the Jewish man said to Jesus, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, well, you know the law. Don't do this. Don't do this. He says, yeah, I've done all that since I was a kid. God must owe me that now, right? And Jesus, ah, one thing you still lack. Go say everything you have and then come follow me. The New Testament writer said that the young man walked away with his head down because he had great possessions. We've got to be careful not to... Uh, get to the point where we believe that God owes us because of what I do. For all of us. I, 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 I mean, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Imagine the absurdity of me standing before God one day and say, God, listen, you don't understand. I taught a Wednesday night Bible study, and I preached 12 times a year, and I did, uh, I did food projects, and I, and I uh, counseled people that were hurting and upset, and you know, I prayed for people, and I made countless trips to the hospital week after week, uh, sitting, praying, and listening to people complaining, and I did this. All, I mean, look, all the good stuff I did for you, God, aren't you lucky to have me on your team? Well, that'd be absurd, right? But we kind of get into the idea that, well, God owes me. I, I, y- y'all see what I'm saying? Like, well, I go to church all the time, God. I give you, I give you 10% of my income. And I'm there every, you know, week, and I volunteer uh, in, in this area or that area, and I'm, do, I'm being a good Christian, therefore you ought to. And God says, man, you're missing the mark. P- Paul says here, guys, it's not what you're doing, it's the God who has done. Well, look at our forefather Abraham. Now, you know the story of Abraham. Oh, hold on, let me not jump ahead here. Um, yeah, you know the story of Abraham, uh, the, the father of the multitudes, right? Um, 
Abraham uh, uh, appears on the scene in Genesis chapter 12, and God says to him what? You might remember John, uh, Jesus steps up. Um, uh, Jesus. God steps in and says, Abraham. Abram at that point. Huh? Before, yeah, many descendants. He says, how, how can that be, God? Because I am an old man. My wife is older than dirt. Um, that's a, almost a, a translation in, in the text. It's kind of, I mean, it is kind of, a, anyway. It's, it's, yeah, she's probably 30, 35. And how could that be? Um, actually, she's older than him, I believe. Anyway. Uh, so, how can that be? I'm an old man, but God says, hey, I want you to, Romans chapter, uh, yeah, I should have put these on the screen, but I don't. Uh, uh, God spoke this promise. You're going to have a great nation, a great name. You're going to be a blessing to many nations, to the world. Remember Abraham, Abram, at that point, his response? Well, that's later on when, when the promise was fulfilled. But at this point, he's 75 years old, without children, he obeyed, and he started over. Can you imagine? I mean, God, a God who you have no relationship with says, hey, Rodney, you ready to start over? And you're like, dude, I've got, I've got my 401k. I'm retiring in six months. I ain't having no more kids, right? I mean, even if you don't have kids, at 75, do you, are you ready? <laughs> We've got some friends that are now expecting, and I kind of shivered thinking about, oh, man, oh, man. I'm 36, and I'm not sure if I'm ready for another, like, uh, man. Um, God says to Abraham at 75, you ready? And you're going to have descendants. Man, what did Abraham do? He started over. He started over. He had a faith-filled response, and he started over. Again, God's promise in chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 7. Uh, God says, Abraham, your seed, uh, um, you're going to have multitude again, and you're going to be given a promised land, right? A land flowing with milk and honey. Remember Abraham's response in chapter 12, verse 7? He built an altar, and he worshiped God. He believed. Chapter 13, verse 15 through 17, God's promise to Abraham he would have numerous descendants again. Abraham's response, a faith-filled response. He moved, he built an altar, and he worshiped God. Chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, God promised Abraham that he would have a son again and numerous offspring. This is now three chapters, and it hadn't happened yet. But Abraham, in chapter 15, verse 6, it says Abraham believed God. You know, there's something to be said about, uh, about um, God's will and God's timing. Sometimes we can know God's will. We can feel so set on God's will. But maybe not his timing. You know what I'm saying? You say, God, I, I know you're saying that you want this for me, that this is your plans for me. Uh, let's go. And God's saying, not yet, John. Not yet, John. I remember, uh, well, eight, nine years ago now, I was very happy. I was 
uh, in youth ministry. I had a really good youth ministry. I had taken a group of about eight students, and we had ballooned, uh, middle school kids, we had ballooned up to about 75 or 80 every week in my previous church. I mean, and that's, that in church jargon, that's job security, okay? Like, <laughs> because, if, so, like, that was nice, right? I got by with all kinds of crazy stuff that I would say and do, shenanigans, uh, because I had, so, so that's good, right? I shouldn't admit that out loud, but it's the truth. Uh, and eventually, uh, one of the elders, <coughs> I'm sorry, the elders called to me, and they said, hey, John, we want to meet with you tonight, and I thought, well, they're not firing me. I know that, right? I do all kinds of nonsense, but they're not going to fire me because, uh, so, so they said, hey, here's what we want to do. We want, we want you to leave youth ministry and go into adult te- uh, a teaching ministry position. We want you to preach a lot. We want you to teach a lot. We want you to do that, and uh, our intention is for you to become the next senior pastor at this church. You know, I thought, now, that's, that's something I'm not really interested in. You see, the guy on top, he gets a lot of criticism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, people throw arrows at him quite a bit. And I'm in a sweet spot because I can kind of do whatever I want. No one really pays attention to me unless I do something really dumb, and I'm learning, you know. Um, so, no. They said, well, pray about it, think about it. And so I talked to the senior pastor uh, there, and we talked about it, and we prayed uh, for a while. And I was just, man, I feel like God's doing that. I feel like God's... Maybe saying, okay, that's what I have for you. I, I want you to preach and teach more. I want you to do that. I was like, God, I really like my kids. I was a real big fan of middle school kids because I'm nuts, I guess. And so I, you know, uh, so I prayed, 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 processed, processed, processed. And then I remember I had gone to a middle school ministry. It was called a conference because middle school ministry people are cool. It was a conference but at a camp. A lot of fun. And I remember sitting with a table of middle school ministers. And I said, guys, here's the situation. Here's what the church's doing. Here's what they're asking me to do. And they're like, dude, that sounds like it's going to be terrible. I'm like, yeah, I think so. Uh, but, but I think God's telling me to do it. And they're like, man, we'll be praying for you because, you know, adults are rough. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And adults are picky. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, like so eventually I just, it was clear that God was moving me into that position. <laughs> and I got there. What's interesting is uh, that group of adults, uh, they just wanted adult youth group. <laughs> That's the best. I love that because I was like, y'all don't want to play the games. You want fellowship time. Which is just, you don't want to play the games because you don't have the energy. You know, like that's, uh, but otherwise, like you, like you want youth group. Great, it's good. Um, so that was fun. But, but then, long story short, God started placing on me, look, look John, I, I, I am putting this calling in your life. You're, I want you to preach and I want you to teach uh, the Bible. Uh, I, I want you to focus. I, I feel like he was, you know, he, preparing me for adult ministry. Uh, preparing me for preaching and teaching, preaching and teaching, preaching and teaching. Uh, and then I step back now nine years later, and I said, God, like I'm doing that stuff, but I know I'm not in the position that, you're, that you've called me to. I, I, I know that's not, I'm not in, in the, I, I know at some point God wants me in a lead pastor position, a senior pastor position. Uh, but you're not, you're not opening doors there for me yet, but I know that's the, your plan. So why are you placing on that on me back then and started to train me and prepare my mind and my heart and my family and 
Why are you doing that? And I'm still not in the place that I know that you're calling for me. What is your plan? I don't get it sometimes. But then we look at Abraham. God calls Abraham, and he says, hey, look, I want you to pack up everything. Start over. You're 75 years old. You're going to start over. And Abraham says, where are we going? He says, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, man, come on. You're kidding me, right? You're not even going to point me in a direction. What about my 401K? What about, you know, like, uh, what's happened? I'll tell you. Chapter, seven, chapter 17, verses 1, Genesis 17, verses 1 through 14, and then 17 through 22. Uh, 25 years later, at the age of 99, God repeated Abraham would be the father of many nations. And he gave them the sign, a covenant sign, that all the males should be, uh, would be circumcised. And his offspring would happen within one year with Sarah. 99 years old, and God says, Here, here's the promise. And Yeah, you've been telling me this for 25 years. And here's what I need you to do, Abraham. Okay, I want you to be circumcised. Not just you, but everyone else. I'm 99, God. Really? Imagine how awkward that time is with your friends, your family, your servants, your household. But hey, guys, good news, you're getting a bonus. Bad news, uh, we're having operations next week. You know, like, can you imagine? Like, who's on, you know, like, really? <coughs> huh? Yeah, Abraham, hey. Hey, I think he's uh, slipping. Dementia. Sleepy Abe, right? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think so. There are some that argue that, yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of the whole, at least uh, at least uh, uh, significant difference. There might be some difference, but I don't think it's significant. Like, I, I think, you know, I can't remember how old Abraham was when he died. Like 150, 500, I don't know. I can't remember. Anybody know? Anyway, it's in there somewhere. Uh, I, I don't think that's, Vastly different from what we would consider a year. Um, but at 99 years old, uh, Abraham uh, believed God. He circumcised himself and his household. I mean, he was circumcised himself. I'm sure he probably didn't. Like, <laughs> I can't pull a splinter out myself. <laughs> Don't. I, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Mm. I mean, <laughs> got so many jokes I can't make. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure he probably didn't do it himself. Someone probably. Um, but then again, like, who do you say, hey, hey, Rodney, I got a favor to ask you. You know, like, how's that work? I don't know. I, I, do I? <laughs> yeah, I've got a deer. I can do that, right? <laughs> no, thanks. Um, so, I mean, th and think about the face of that as well, though. I mean, like, we make jokes about it, but Think about cleanliness and stuff today, right? Like, I'm sure it was a sharp blade, but still, don't you have to worry about infection? Don't you have to worry about, oh, man, what a mess. But God believed, Abraham believed God's promise. And then he was circumcised. I'm sorry? Yes, ma'am. 
<laughs> Sounds fun to me. I mean, I've got... That's a big ask. Yeah, well, well so, so this covenant now is being established. and Yeah, so this covenant is now being established. 25 years after the promise, this covenant is being established, and the sign of the covenant is for all the mouths to be circumcised, starting at this point moving forward. Now, Paul's point here is that Abraham acted in faith before the sign of the covenant. 175, yeah. Uh, when he when he died, right? Um, why circumcision is a sign? I really don't know. There are several theories. I don't know where I fall on it. I do know this: for a male fighting force, at Abraham's age at this point, while he's still traveling, as a as a sojourner or whatever the word is there. Um, um, of course, he's not a fighting age really. But to take every male. Like you're you're putting every male down for a couple of days, I'm sure, right? I had a gallbladder surgery, it was laparoscopic, and I was down for like a week and a half, all right? Um, so I think that's part of it. Sorry. Um, I think that's part of it. I think there's also just, I mean, you think about, um, I, I think part of it is also what you value. Even in that type of a uh, culture, the value there was wives, offspring, sex was a part of their, uh, it was a very, humanity has always been very sexualized since the fall in an inappropriate way. And so I think that's part of it as well. Okay, what do you really value? Um, I don't know. Yeah, so that's happening. Uh, that that had happened uh, 13 years prior. Hey, uh, uh, Ishmael was uh, 12 or 13 when Isaac was born, right? <coughs> so, which brings us to another point. Uh, well, let me come back to that because my point is to build him up and then tear him down. Okay. Um, <laughs> No, you're good, you're good. So, so Abraham responds in faith at the age of 99. 25 years after the initial promise in chapter 12, you're going to have a son, you're going to have offspring, numerous descendants. And again, my, I'm old, my wife's older than dirt, but I'll trust you. I'll circumcise myself and my family and uh, all the servants of my whole, my whole household will be circumcised. Um, Paul's point here is he responded in faith. He responded in faith before the sign of the covenant. I, I don't know. It is, it is um, there is a formula you can use to figure that out, but it is 25 years after the initial promise in chapter 12. Um, I, I couldn't tell you what year. Um, but there, is, there are people who have tried to determine spans. Yeah. Um, now, Abraham, this is 500, I can't, I can't tell you this because it's my notes. Abraham lived 500 years before the law was given. Okay, 500 years before the law. So, if Abraham is saved by works, Paul says here in 1 through 4, we will boast, boast away. 
but he can't. If you remember in Genesis chapter 15, God said, hey, bring this animal, this animal, and this animal. This is in the midst of making all those promises. And God's covenanting covenanting with Abraham. Uh, (laughs) uh, And and he says, bring all these, and we're going to cut them in half and pass through on the blood and all that stuff. But in Genesis chapter 15, remember what happens to Abraham while God's doing all this covenanting? A, A deep sleep falls upon him. Abraham's asleep while God establishes the covenant, really, in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham's sleeping. He's having visions. He's in a deep trance and a deep sleep. And God passes through with a torch and the, and the flame or fire or whatever uh, in between the dead animals, establishing the covenant. He's asleep while God does it. You can't be any more unactive in the work of covenanting than being asleep. See, the circumcision, which became the sign of the covenant, the mark of the covenant people, was a response to the faith that was already had. It preceded, this is one of those big arguments, and you know, I'm an advocate for this perspective of first century Judaism. Um, we, we think, well, you know, they always focused on works, focused on works so much. Um, but, but I think... I think the Jews had a much better idea of grace than we like to give them credit for much, much of the time. Because we see that throughout the entire Old Testament, God often intervenes long before the people respond in faith. Think of the Israelites in bondage and slavery. God steps in, he, pulled, he heard their cry, he heard their pain, and that, when we read that, he heard their cry. We think, well, they're, they're all like a revival session yelling out for God to save us. No. He heard the desperation. They were an impressed people. And so God steps in, pulls them out. And remember uh, uh, Exodus, well, wherever the Ten Commandments are there. Uh, he says, hey, remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of uh, Egypt, who brought you out of slavery. I acted in grace. Therefore, as a response, live like this have no other gods before me. God's grace preceded his requirements. And so again, if Abraham is saved by his works, then boast, but he wasn't saved by his works. It was counted to him as righteous long before his works. His works always came as a response to the, to the righteousness that he, it was ca- counted on him. Now, uh, again, Abraham lived 500 years before the law was given. Therefore, he could not have been saved by obedience to the Torah. Uh, so Abraham responded in faith, responded in faith. But as we know, uh, Abraham wasn't a perfect guy. Remember the story with Hagar and Ishmael, right? God made this promise, and Sarah's getting old, and she's thinking, man, I don't know if I want to carry a baby. I'm old. But here's my, mil- my maidservant. Hey, Abraham, let's, let's help God. He probably needs our help, right? Have we ever done that? God, you've said this, but let me help you. <laughs> you know, try to kick open a door. Um, so here, here's, here's, here, and so then what happens? I mean, we, we have legendary, in the, in the past three years, we've had legendary Middle Eastern uh, peace talks and treaties. Historic. I mean, really, uh, on a on a uh, global uh, prophecy level thing, that's pretty neat stuff that was happening in the past couple years uh, with Middle Eastern peace talks. Um, uh, but that whole conflict, 
comes back to this situation. The child of promise and the child that's sent off. No peace treaty is going to bring peace. It all comes because Abraham and Sarah decided they could help God out. They could uh, speed God up. It's been 25 years. Why? Or at that point, it was, I guess, 12 years or so. Why hasn't God fulfilled his promise that he's made? Uh, maybe uh, we should do this. Um, and so that happened, and you've got Ishmael and um, the conflict of today. We see um, uh, Abraham's not a perfect guy, Hagar and Ishmael. Uh, the, 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 or, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, we, we think, uh, also, how else did Abraham royally mess up with his wife? Yeah, yeah, they go in and they're, hey, here's the rich, powerful king, Pharaoh, right? And he thinks Sarah's pretty cute. Uh, yeah, she's my sister. Like, can you imagine your husband doing that? Holy cow. Not only did he do it once, he did it twice. Wow. I mean, whoa, me too? <laughs> you know? How terrible is that? And yet, um, and, then, and then he gave away the promised land. I mean, he, he, he did all kinds of, or gave away, I mean, not quite the promised land yet, but yeah. He gave away his wife twice, gave away the promised land. He, he really messed up royally several times. See, Abraham's not a great picture of who I want to be. <laughs> He's not the example of the type of person we need to be. Again, the Bible's full of bad guys and girls and a good God. And that's Paul's point here. Abraham saved by faith, not because of his obedience to the Torah or the law or to God even. Not because he's a moral, uh, uh, outstanding individual, because he's not. He gave away his wife. He gave away the promised land. The Ishmael situation. But God stepped in and brought salvation. He believed Chapter 15, verse 6, he believed grace. It was counted a gift given to him. It wasn't wages earned. <clears throat> it was a gift. Look, at Paul shifts then to talking about David. Uh, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift. Oh, we just read that, didn't we? Um, uh, uh, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one who God counts as righteous apart from his works. Now, you all recall David. You all recall David. David will later on write in Psalm, he quotes it here, uh, uh, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man uh, against whom the Lord does not count his sin. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Paul then brings, he's dealt with Abraham for a minute, now he brings in, uh, this reference to David. Again, we recall David. David's a shepherd boy. What's David most known for? Killing Goliath. Yeah, that's probably what I would say as well. Killing Goliath. He was also a king, uh, one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. Um, again, there's another story. Uh, about a, a, a delayed promise. He's anointed as king. I'm sorry, appointed as king. 
but he has not anointed as king for another 15, 20 years. Lives on the run from the true from the current king Saul. God's will, God's timing don't always match up. Um, David means beloved. It's another popular name. Almost a thousand times it's mentioned. He's mentioned in the Bible, king of Israel for forty years. During his uh, his reign, uh, there was great expansion and prosperity through war. David, uh, the city of David is called, is named after David. Second uh, Samuel and First Chronicles <coughs> talk about his reign. My voice is starting to go. Uh, he's the author of half the Psalms. You ever want to see what manic depression looks like? Read through the book of Psalms. So one Psalm is like, God, you're awesome. You're fantastic. You're great. You've never been closer than this. And the next psalm is, God, where are you? You know. Now, of course, they're not chronological, but, but still, you've got these highs and your lows. And, he, and I love the book of Psalms. Historically, the book of Psalms, that's a little side note. Historically, in church history, the book of Psalms has been called the pathway of discipleship. The character, the, 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 um, priorities that are expressed through the book of Psalms. If you become the type of person, the idea is, if you become the type of person that the book of Psalms talks about, then you're doing good. Historically, it's always been the, 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 the book of discipleship, really. Psalms is a fantastic book. There, I mean, there, I would love to do a study on the book of Psalms because it's so healthy. We were talking earlier about I've got this tendency to um, shove things down, right? Shove it down, put it in your little box, don't talk about it, you know, cover it over with a rug, nobody will see it. Uh, but the book of Psalms is such a great therapy device as well. You ever been angry with God? I have. And you think, man, I just, you know, like you, you want to cry out and scream, but then you're like, well, you know, there's part of me that says, you know, I, I know who he is. Uh, Psalms talks about the, the beginning, or Proverbs talks about the, the beginning of wisdom for a man is to fear God, right? I'm not going to show my, my rear to someone I fear, and I fear the Lord. And so, it, it, you know, I struggle with that. But then you read the Psalms of Lament, where the psalmist is crying out, God, where are you? I, I feel so distant and depleted and far from you. Where are you, God? I've, I've seen you in your sanctuary. I, my, my, uh, uh, my, my heart cries out because I recall going into your presence as a, as a child or as a young man perhaps. And you know, I, re I remember the joy and the festivity of your people and your presence. But now in the John Welch redneck paraphrase, I, I, <laughs> where are you? You've left me. And the book of Psalms, and especially the Psalms of Lament, um, teaches how to lament, how to grieve in a really positive way. <laughs> While I, I remember these things and I don't feel this now, the, the Psalms of Lament always have this but. And as the great prophet Sir Mixlot said, <laughs> I like big buts. That's a bad joke. 
but I, I, I like it. There's a big, there's a big bud there in every uh, a, a psalm of the men. Sorry, um, <laughs> I shouldn't say these things, uh, and that's why you're not a preacher. Uh, <laughs> um, there, there's a there's a big pivot, all right, uh, there where where it says but. While I don't feel it, while I don't see it, while while it's just a distant mis- uh, 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 a distant memory right now, I, I will cling on to your faithfulness. Oh, how powerful is that? The encouragement that while I don't hear it, see it, feel it, understand what's going on here in this absence, I can hold on to the one who is a rock, who is who is historically shown to be faithful, and so I can hold on just a little longer, and you'll be here. The book of Psalms is a fantastic song. David writes half of these. That's my point, I guess. Saying all that to say David wrote half of them. Okay, John, give us your notes. Um, a shepherd boy, he killed lions and bears and tigers and goliaths. Uh, a passionate harpist, musician. A uh, fantastic guy, and he's used here. Paul brings him up as an example of a good like, like, okay, remember what David says, blessed is man who, uh, who, who, whose, whose sins aren't held against him in the sight of the Lord. Well, David should know a little bit about that. You know, that David, a, a man after God's own heart. Uh, lifted up as a hero in the Jewish community. But also, just like Abraham, a compromised individual. In the height of his reign, when everything's going well, when other kings were at war, where did David find himself? He finds himself not at war. Slacking. Playing Xbox 360 until 3 o'clock in the morning, whatever. You know, like he's not doing his duty. He goes out onto, and like every good person, I mean, no one wants the house in the valley. We all want the house on the mountain, and he's on the mountain. And he looks down, and he sees Bathsheba bailing, and he says, I think I likes. He has her brought to his, to his uh, chambers. And I, I'm of the, of the pretty firm conviction that, um, you know, sometimes we, even in uh, writings in antiquity, uh, even Jewish writings of antiquity, we, we, sometimes in those commentaries and uh, midrashes and stuff, they kind of talk like, well, Bathsheba, or, or the, sometimes they'll call her, even Matthew will call her the, the wife of Uriah. Well, why is that? Because we don't say sluts' names. A, a lot of the Jewish writings will kind of talk about her as if she were, I shouldn't say that word either, but, mm, um, but sorry, edit, edit, edit. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but that's, that's the way she's treated. Uh, as if she was kind of enticing. I've heard people preach, there she is enticing David. Now, who's responsible for David's actions? David. Right? Uh, David is responsible for David's actions. David saw her. He said, I like that. He sent for her. And when the king summons you into his chambers... I'm of the firm opinion you don't have much of a say of what's going to happen. Now, this is a debated topic, but I, I think that Bathsheba is brought into the chambers and David rapes her. And there's several reasons to believe that, uh, but research if you want. Uh, it's, it's definitely a Me Too type of movement. This is a man in power of prestige. And Bathsheba, what, what's she have? 
Um, anyway, uh, uh, long story short, Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And so what's David do? This good moral upstanding citizen David, the David after God's own heart, what's he do? He calls for Uriah to come in from battle. He says, I'll, here, here's what I'll do. I'll get him drunk. I'll send him home. He'll sleep with his wife. Uh, and, and my sin will be hidden. Everyone will assume it'll just be me and Bathsheba and my guards, and they won't tell anybody because I'll kill them, right? And so this is going to work out just fine. The problem is he brings in Uriah, loyal Uriah. Several times he's called loyal Uriah, the Hittite. Brings him in and says, hey, here you go. I want to celebrate you. I want here's some wine. Here's some, why don't you go home and be with your wife? And Uriah being the man, uh, noble man that he was. It wouldn't be right for me to enjoy the pleasures of home uh, while my men are in battle. And so he slept on the couch or on the bench outside, whatever. Um, I, I remember uh, my first ministry. This is a side note. Uh, my first ministry in Tennessee. What time is it, Rodney? Tell me to shut up when I need to, okay? Um, I guess at 8, right? Is that when the kids are done? Uh, t- whatever you want to, I guess. That's a, uh, man. I wonder how I can trust that. Um, so uh, <laughs> um, my first ministry in Rogersville, Tennessee, small country church, small country community. And I remember I left for the summer. I had to go to another church and do an internship. But they uh, had uh, said, hey, when you come back to Tennessee, your position will be here because nobody else wanted to go there. And uh, so I, I, I got back in the fall, and the town was in an uproar. There was a Baptist church, a Christian church, and a Catholic church. And that summer, the Catholic church had rented out the, the park, and they served beer out of kegs in the community park. And the whole area was in an uproar because the Catholics drank beer, and the Baptists and the Christians, for the first time, I think, in Rogersville history, were in, a, <laughs> were in agreement about something. It was fantastic. They all hated the Catholics. And... Uh, and so the, the senior minister, uh, he says to me, he says, John, uh, uh, I mean, you agree with me, right? What he didn't know <laughs> uh, was that a couple years, let's say I was probably 23 at that point. When I was 21, uh, when I was 21 in one month, we talked about this once before. When I was 21 in one month, I got a DUI. Uh, they didn't run a background check on me. I, they didn't ask me. I didn't tell them. I mean, it's one of those things we just kind of skirted through. And so he says, you agree with me, right? I was like, well, there's debate there. I, yeah. And I remember he gave me a cassette tape of, he said, this is the sermon. He said, I used to be, um, what was the word he used? Okay with it, you know, uh, in moderation, everything in moderation. Yeah, I was okay with it until I, I listened to the sermon. Uh, why don't you listen to the sermon? Maybe we can talk about it. I said, well, that's great. That sounds good. I mean, like maybe it'll change my mind, and, and, and maybe I can kind of learn from you and, and stuff. And so I was really excited about <coughs> putting the radio, and I was driving home that weekend. And I put it on, in, the, in the car, and I started listening to this guy. And this guy uses this text of uh, Bathsheba and Uriah uh, and Uriah getting drunk. Uh, he uses that text as a proof as to why alcohol is a tool of Satan. I thought, well, that's an interesting take. So I listened to the sermon. It's just, it was a terrible sermon. Uh, I came back the next Sunday. He's like, John, uh, Steve was his name. Great guy. He says, John, how'd you like the sermon? I said, I thought it was good. And he's like, like, like what do you think? I said, Here, well, here's my only problem with the whole sermon. He said, what's that? And I said, 
I get the guy's point, alcohol can lead to bad things, and yada, yada, yada. I get all that. But what I don't understand is his biblical like Everything else he says is great, but when he uses the Bible, that's what I don't understand. Because Uriah, yes, he is given alcohol to get drunk. David's very clear that that's his intention. The problem is Uriah acts nobly while intoxicated. So how does that... And Steve goes, uh, I didn't pay attention to that. I was like, ah, I mean, that's my only issue. Like, I, I agree with generally what he's saying in the message, but from a, if, if we're preaching the Bible, if that's the text you go to, oh, well, it wasn't fermented, they say. Um, but, but, I mean, my, my whole issue with Uriah was he's drunk and he acts noble. I think he drank. I think he did. Uh, Uriah. Yeah, I think he drank. Now, I could be wrong on that, but I think he drank. Um, but he acts nobly. Now, it, it doesn't mean he got drunk. Um, somebody else had something there. Did you have something? I want so bad they want Sunday morning yeah. to just sneak in wine and be like, who's going to know? <laughs> you know? You know what I mean? I mean, I won't do that because that would be wrong, but uh, I think it would be hilarious. Um, that's so funny. I want to go to your old church. <laughs> On an unrelated note, we're having a potluck next week. <laughs> Uh, that's so funny. Um, so, uh, yeah, and there's all kinds of, like, uh, there are one cup, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of this doctrine, but there are one cup, uh, there's a one cup doctrine where if you don't drink from the same cup, even in the Christian church, if you don't drink from the same cup, then you're doing communion wrong. Because it's one Lord, one Christ, one baptism, one cup. Whatever, you know, people are too intense sometimes. Um, uh, again, the question there becomes, okay, well, what saves you? Again, that's what Paul's saying here. Is it what you do? Now, certainly we have a moral responsibility. There's this huge struggle that we have in Christendom. Like you've got God's jumping in and pulling us out of the deep end, bringing us up to water and saving us. We are saved apart from anything we do. I can never do enough to earn salvation. But as James will say, for, and really Paul says that as well. Here in the first couple of chapters of Romans, he talks about how God has reached in and saved us, not on our power, but his power alone. But if you watch how Romans is going to progress, in chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, he's talking about what God's doing in us, saving us, redeeming us, renewing us. Romans chapter 12, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And then when it comes to the last couple chapters of Romans, what's the, excuse me, what's the whole point? It's how you interact with other people. He, he has stepped in and worked in us, or, or for us, really in the first couple chapters. God's worked for us by sending Christ. You are saved apart from what you do. 
And then he's working in us, transforming us, renewing us. Romans chapter 6, he starts talking about how we are joined with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And just as Christ raised from a new grave, we are now able, we are raised to a new life. See, we're not the old person we once were. We're new. So look at what God's doing in you. And then look how God's working through you. I'm kind of jumping the gun there, but that's a couple chapters of Romans. It's all about how we deal with one another. It talks about being a good citizen. That's a fun study. You want, really want to, uh, 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 really a, a good study, uh, start studying Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, right before an election. <laughs> All governments are established by God's hand? All of them, God? All of them? Like, when things are good, yeah, I'm with you there, but what about... Uh, President Xi in China, or Z, 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 whatever, I ever, XI. That's not how you say it, but what about him? Is he put there by your hand, God? What about when Hitler rose to power? Is that by your hand? When Paul says, submit to this authority because they are the hand of God at work, and they don't carry that sword in vain but to establish his punishment. What do you mean by that, Paul? So that's a fun study. We'll get to that at some point. But I better get back to notes, otherwise we'll never get there. Um, uh, David, uh, uh, again, David, good God, but not great. Uh, while polygamy is for, forbidden, forbidden in Deuteronomy chapter 17, 17, uh, of course, you know, David had multiple wives, adultery with Bathsheba, Bathsheba, <laughs> Uh, uh, he murdered loyal Uriah, and then you look at his the, the 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 trajectory of his life and how it impacts his kids. I'm very passionate about this. Listen, our sins, if not dealt with, will transfer to our children. We've got to be very uh, alert and aware. There is generational sin that happens. Look at David's sons. Why he is a man after God's own heart. Look at his son, uh, Ammon. That was incest. Absalom murdered his. Moited, Moida, uh, Moida, his brother. Um, Solomon was an idolater. Absalom uh, uh, sought to overthrow the government and 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 died. Look at David. He he took a, a demonic census. God had said not to do it, but David did it anyway. Why? Because he wanted to see how big my army was. It's estimated. That they had one point <coughs> in David's time while David's reigning, he had it's estimated 1.5 million enlisted men in his army. Do you know how many the United States Army has in, in uh, 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 enlisted servicemen and women? Not nearly 1.5 million. Most powerful army on the earth in history right here nothing compared to what David had as far as people um, but God forgave and blessed David by grace not by his works well at least David ended well right well on his deathbed remember he was cold what did they do you recall 
He's cold. He can't get warm on his deathbed. He's an old man, shriveled up in bed and chilly. I would ask for another blanket or two. David had ten virgins brought into him. Papa, it's getting a little weird. You know what I mean? Take a heated blanket and be, you know, uh, on his deathbed, <laughs> he told Solomon to put a hit on his enemy. In First Kings, First uh, uh, Kings, uh, I've got two, but that doesn't sound right in my in my head. He told Solomon to put a hit on his. I mean, the thing about this, this is like old man David. Pap, <laughs> Dad, what are your final wishes? I want you to go put a bullet in somebody's head. Like think like. Oh, come on, you know, like, look, this is like the Billy Graham, right? Can you imagine, can you imagine? This is King David on his deathbed. Yeah, yeah, old sleepy David. Um, 500 years after the law, so Abraham was before the law, this is 500 years after the law is given, uh, 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 David is guilty of idolatry, murder, adultery, stealing, lying, coveting. Romans chapter 4, verse 9. Whoa, I should have made that bigger. <clears throat> so you, you've got uh, Abraham as an example and David as an example. And Paul says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised, the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised? Now this is an interesting point. It is for we said that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? You first century Jews, Paul says, you want to focus so much on the circumcision. But when was Abraham called righteous? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. He received the sign of the circumcision as the seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. <laughs> Take that, Jews, he says. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, as well as circumcision. So Jews says, well, Abraham is our father. We heard the Jews make that same claim when Jesus, uh, near the end of Jesus' ministry. He says, you whitewashed tombs, you evil men, you Pharisees. You don't know God. And they say, hey. Abraham's our father. There's a strong uh, tie to uh, ethnic Judaism was developed. The importance of the outward sign of uh, the, the seal of the covenant. And while that was important per God's standards, why did the, it wasn't Abraham's idea to get circumcised. Right? But he was obedient. God's idea hijacked over time. I think that's a that's a tool of Satan, isn't it? Take God's idea, alter it, shift it. Well, God didn't really say do that. Well, God said be circumcised, so as long as you're circumcised, you're okay. God didn't really say that if you eat of that fruit, you die. Surely not. He didn't say okay. Uh, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that the righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of, that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Think about the claim that Paul's making here. Abraham is not just the father of the Jews, but also the Gentiles. 
he's the forefather of the faith of the Gentiles because he acted in faith before the sign of the covenant. Think about this, the sign. I've got in my notes, sign versus means. The sign of the covenant versus the means of the covenant. Sometimes we get bogged down today, um, and I'm going to pick on something that I find, baptism. Now, we're going to develop that further as we get to Romans chapter 6 and elsewhere throughout Scripture. Uh, but it, it is an undeniable uh, uh, statement that baptism is an important thing in the New Testament church. The historic argument was, must I be baptized to be saved? Which I think is a bad question to ask, however, whatever, right? But, but, must I be baptized to be saved is a bad question to ask because the motive is skewed, I believe. Must I be faithful to my wife? to stay married no but my faithfulness to my wife ensures that I'll stay married that's one thing right and because I love my wife I'm faithful to my wife um, uh, but at the same time the opposite extreme of that is also in error in my church in Rogersville Tennessee I'll never forget there was one Sunday morning a grandparent had the grandchild with him. They said, hey, John, today, Susie Q here is going to be baptized. And the child said, I don't want to do it anymore. They said, well, if you do it, I'll take you to get ice cream. Merciful heavens. That's a terrible, 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 what? Right? And their idea was, <coughs> if, he, <coughs> excuse me, if you do this sign, you're in, you're good. I thought, what a terrible teaching. But it's no different than the bus evangelism in the 70s and 80s. Go on the bus with ice cream. Uh, this happened all over big cities. Going to get in church vans and buses with coolers of ice creams. Going to, the, going to uh, uh, communities, handing out ice cream and say, hey, look, hey, do you, uh, do you want to go to heaven when you die? You ask anybody that. Uh, yeah, yeah. You want an ice cream cone? Sweetenly. I tell you what, you say this, you pray this prayer with me. We'll give you an ice cream cone and you can walk away with that assurance. Y'all see this, heard of this, right? Many ministries do this and they brag about it. We had 4,500 salvations this past week with the bus ministry. Everybody's, yeah, that's great. And the problem with that is many people are they're told that, well, okay, I'm safe. I'm going to go to heaven. Huh. Cool. Let's live like hell. You know what I mean? We, we give a false assurance. We can do the same thing with baptism. While I think baptism is much different than just saying a prayer. The sinner's prayer, for example, the sinner's prayer is nowhere in, in the Bible. You've heard this prayer, you know, Jesus, I repent of my sins, I accept you in my heart. That's nowhere in the Bible, right? It's, it's not. It's made up. It's, which, and it's fine because prayers are made up, right? Baptism is at least biblical. But getting in the baptistry and getting wet doesn't save you any more than saying a prayer 
or my favorite is going to McDonald's doesn't make you it, just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a happy meal, right? Um, the sign of the covenant is not the means, right? But that doesn't mean that the sign is not an important aspect of that. And we'll dive into that further. Paul's point here, though, is Abraham is the, guy, is the forefather of both the Jews and the Gentiles. Why? Well, uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 and Acts chapter 7 both talk about Abraham is called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur is the capital city of what would become Babylon. Whoa. I mean, again, picture the grace of the Father of God who makes a nation of his own. Is that not grace in and of itself? At this point in history, first century, Israel, I mean, well, at this point they've been trumped by the Syrians and Babylonians and now Rome is ruling over them. But they've got a rich history of ethnic uh, 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 being ethnically proud. But when it all started with Abraham, they had nothing. They were nobody. Is that not the hand of God and God's grace acting long before obedience ever came? So Abraham, Paul says, at this point the Gentiles in the crowd would be like, oh yeah, we're included in that too. And the Jews would have probably been quite offended. What we see, oh, I have so much more to go and I talk too much. Yikes. Uh, do you have the picture of, G, of uh, Jesus and, and Jake, uh, Jesus, Jesus and Isaac in your notes? Do you have that in there? Uh, uh, is there a list of uh, Isaac and Jesus were both in similarities? So Isaac, the son of promise, is a prototype of Jesus. And it's kind of cool to walk through and see uh, all these similarities here. It's a prototype. It's a picture of the promised son who come, who would come and, and take our sinfulness, who would redeem us. Uh, so I'm going to skip over that. You can read that. If you have any questions, uh, uh, ask me next week. Uh, real faith, uh, I've got a little note here. Uh, real faith that Paul's talking about here, it comes with risk. It comes with loss. With loss. Real faith is not perfect faith, but faith in a perfect God. We see Abraham and David were both flawed individuals, but they had faith in the perfect God. The God who says, blessed is he uh, whose sins are not counted against him, uh, David writes. Uh, they looked forward to the Messiah to come. We look backward to the, to the Messiah who came. And then, as Paul is going to flesh out, we look forward. We look back at what he has done, and now we look forward to what we are called to do as his ambassadors. Real faith, real faith, not just, yeah, I'm a Christian, but real faith in Christ who reaches down and saves us results in action. So my relationship with my wife my relationship with my kids, my relationship with one another, my worldview, my, 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 my life is transformed. Not because I'm a good person. We've already established I'm not. But because of who God is, I have faith, I believe, and it causes me to walk forward in obedience. Real faith 
grows as God proves himself faithful and faithful and faithful. More and more real faith sees beyond this life to the life that is to come. Look at Romans 13 uh, through 16. Uh, For the promise uh, to Abraham uh, and his offspring would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The law didn't produce it. Righteousness of faith did. For its adherence to the law, who are to be the heirs, uh, faith is null and the promise is void. If the law brought it, then faith is null, it's void, it's worthless. Uh, For the law brings wrath, but where there's no law, there's no transgression. This is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, the Jews and the Gentiles, he's saying. Not only to those who adhere to the law, but also to the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it's written, I've made you a father to many nations. In the presence of the God whom he believed, whom gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Yeah, good luck reading that. Uh, he ho- uh, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. The odds were stacked against him, but he believed in hope against hope. I'm an old man. My wife is older than dirt. God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I believe you. Not only did he believe the promise, and this is big, guys, he believed in the God of the promise. Not because of the content of the promise, but because of who made the promise. Uh, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave God glory, fully convinced, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Do you believe that? The scripture says that one day every knee will bow on heaven, on earth, and under the earth. It's so easy to look at our society today and say, God, I know, Jesus, when you left your disciples, you said, hey, take heart. The world's going to hate you, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And it's good that I leave so the, the, <coughs> excuse me, the comforter will come and live in you, Jesus says. And I know you said those things, but God, I look at the world and I see things aren't getting better, they're getting worse. We don't know what a man is or what a woman is. We, we don't know what's up and what's down. The Today Show the other day, this is a side note, and I shouldn't say it, but I will. The Today Show had a child dressed in drag dancing. A child. Eight, nine years old. I mean, it's not even hidden anymore than you think. How in the world? How are your promises going to come? Well, we see have an example of Abraham. Who didn't consider his old age or the barrenness of his wife, but he believed in the God of the promise. 
Paul says that should give us encouragement as the people, as the church of God. Not only is God going to fulfill what he says he's going to fulfill, Christ is going to return and there's going to be a, a judgment for the living and for the dead. He will reign. That means we need to walk forward in that faith. <laughs> While it's scary and weird in our world today, we walk forward because we believe in the God of the promise. Let me finish this passage. This is why uh, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't earn it. It's not wages earned. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us when, to, uh, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised uh, from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and justified and, and raised for our justification. Abraham believed the what because of the who. He believed the what because of the who. Let me ask us as we finish up tonight, do you believe God is able in the same way, in the same faith that Abraham had uh, in his day, faith that David had in his day, in an identical way, we must do more than just believe that Jesus came back from the dead. We must believe on him who raised Jesus from the dead. We believe in a person who says and does things. We do not proceed straight to those things uh, which are said and done, but, uh, but we may not detach them from the other side either. Just as we cannot be justified apart from the... Uh, <laughs> here's my geekiness, ready? Just as we cannot be justified by the predicate apart from the subject, neither can we be saved by the subject apart from the predicate. We believe because of who God is. And we are saved, Paul says in Romans chapter 4, because of who God is. Because he is able. He has stepped out. Rodney, you are not good enough to be saved. You know that, don't you? But thankfully, God says, I save you. I save you. I save you. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. But God in his great mercy reaches down and saves. It's not what we do. Now we're going to be shifting. To, re, to a response. God works for us in Christ. And as we move forward in the book of Romans, we're going to see how he works in us, transforming us, because Rodney, you are a terrible guy. You know that, right? But he works in us to transform us. And so as I pursue Jesus, who I am changes. Now that I pursue Jesus, there was a time where I really wanted sin. But as I get closer and closer to Jesus, I don't desire that sin nearly as much. In fact, much of the sin I once desired repulses me today. I'm not, it's not because we're perfect, you all know this, but because we grow in love with the God who saves us, our desires change. Our wants, our needs change. Uh, I think I'm almost done. Um, we believe in the God who saves so he works for us in Christ. Not what you do. He's got to be working in us, starting in chapter 5, and then through us as we go throughout the rest of the book. Questions, comments? I know it's 8 o'clock. You didn't tell me to stop talking yet. Huh? Is it because I got excited? <laughs> uh, um, that's right. 
That's right. That's right. God's will for me to stop talking at some point, uh, but his timing might be different. <laughs> uh, uh, let me pray for us. God, we come to you now. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you stepped in and saved us. And the example that we have throughout history, not just in biblical history, but throughout throughout our our modern history even. I think of great men like Martin Luther, uh, but a dark side, a, a failed side. I, I, I think of, well, I, I, I know me just as you know me. Actually, you know me better than me. And you know, Lord, that my heart is turned to you. Uh, but I've got my flaws and my hang-ups and my, and my, my rough edges, my flat-out sins. God, I, I thank you. I thank you for saving me apart from me. And I thank you that I can speak in confidence that I am saved, not because I'm a good guy, but because you are a good God. I thank you for the confidence that we can have, not because we're good, but because you're good. God, I pray that you help us to live and walk in this confidence. Lord, help us to be your ambassadors in our schools, in our works, in our, uh, in our homes. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.